Hi, this is Victor Argueta Jr. and I am live from Washington DC today. This is episode nine of Coders and we're gonna be looking at policy and what developers need to know about policy when they are creating apps. But first, a message from our sponsors. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Comscope, thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Hi, this is Victor Agreta, and we are going to be talking to the Center for Democracy and Technology today. And I interviewed Joe Hall, who is their chief technologist. He's going to be talking a little bit about some policies and regulations that app developers should be aware of when they are creating anything that involves privacy or security. So thanks for watching today. Here's to have a look. Think of us colloquially as the EFF and SUPS, uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, your, your viewers may be more familiar with. And we actually were the EFF up until about 1992, and then there was a sort of a, a mutual parting of the ways. Um, but CDT is a is an advocacy shop that we essentially try to champion good tech policy, or technology policy, laws, rules that promote the ability to tinker with stuff, the the the, the, the public interest in in, in an open internet, for example, and, and, uh, and a free and open internet. So it's not just about having it open and being, you know, surveilled constantly. That's not freedom. You know, freedom is, is, is uh, being left alone often as well. So what is the regulatory mood around privacy and what should developers be aware of? There's sort of the government side of privacy and then there's sort of business privacy. And those are um, two conversations that many people would love to have totally disconnected, but for a variety of reasons, you, they, they, they play against each other quite a bit. And so, at least in the government side, uh, you know, government privacy, your privacy against the government, there's a lot of movement on the, on the surveillance front. Uh, in, in the U.S., I mean, you can talk about it around the world if you care, but in the U.S. at least, uh, there's a bunch of bills right now that are soon to become law or have a good chance to become, of becoming law that would scale back some of the, the things we've heard about from the revelations of Edward Snowden, some of the, the, the stuff we knew was possible, we thought no one would spend that amount of money and effort to do those kinds of things to you know, sort of militarize or weaponize the internet, so to speak. Um, th those are generally going very well uh, in terms of sort of our perspective and, and sort of rein back the government from being able to, to monitor everything you do and, and, and things like injecting code during a network session and stuff, really uh, just should not be a possibility, at least a legal possibility. Um, on the business side, there's a lot of stuff, so I'm gonna separate it out into sort of big business and, and, and startups, app developers, other things like that. Perfect. And the big business side, there, the Obama administration has put forward what's called a Consumer Privacy Bill of Rights uh, bill, a piece of legislation that would sort of take the U.S. The U.S. is famous in the world for having very siloed kinds of privacy laws. So we have one for health. It's called HIPAA, the Health and, uh, Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, HIPAA. There's uh, ones for finance. There's uh, ones for, for uh, kids and, uh, you know, uh, COPA. Uh, there are ones for uh, students. So there's, a, there's like a thicket of very different 
privacy laws and, and if you're doing anything across a couple of those your brain starts to hurt really quick and stuff like that um, and so to sort of harmonize with the rest of the world where people talk about data protection you know any piece of sensitive information of you just due to the fact that it's a piece of sensitive information deserves some kind of protection and so the Obama administration has put this forward as a way of saying these kinds of principles should apply to all kinds of sensitive data um, that's not going to go anywhere <laughs> mostly because the climate on the hill right now is, is pretty hostile towards things that would sort of uh, uh, reduce businesses' ability to make money in general, right? And that's just the way it is. Um, but we're still working on it. We still think that the U.S., CDT thinks that the U.S. needs some general protection for sensitive kinds of data and personal data, um, just like we have for things like trade secrets, which, you know, are a big deal and we should protect. Um, on the app side, it gets really interesting. Um, App developers, hopefully you know that, for example, in California, California law requires you to have a privacy policy. And you'd think, oh great, I can do business everywhere except for California and not have a privacy policy. Um, but that's not exactly the case because <laughs> inevitably people in California will download your app and use it. I mean, Yeah, if you're on the app store, you yeah, have to... If you're on the app store, yeah. and if your goal is to not do business in California, that's... Not good business, probably. Business plan. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Um, but and, and so there, there are other effects like that. You know, the, the uh, so in general, it's good to have a privacy policy. There's certain, there are a lot of resources for app developers. The uh, uh, Application Developers Alliance, the ADA, the Association for Competitive Technology Act. Those are both trade associations for small app developers that you can that have resources about. Oh, geez, I've heard about a privacy policy. Well, I don't know what that means. What do I need to think about? Doesn't mean I need to hire a lawyer. It, 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 it depends on what you're doing, but hopefully you don't, because you don't want your, your hard-earned uh, money to, to go necessarily all to lawyers. Some of them maybe, the good ones. Um, there's other things. So, for example, the Federal Trade Commission, the, the FTC, you may not have heard of them, but they have been increasingly sort of the cops on in terms of privacy out there. Um, and they have sort of this set of authorities that allow them to police deceptive and unfair business practices. Uh, that's a lot of words, but what it means is if you say your app does something and it doesn't do that, or you know, like if you lie about what your app does, or if you're just ignorant and say, for example, we use the strongest cryptography known to man and then you don't use crypto at all or something like that, you know, that even if you didn't know that and you, you paid someone to do it and they didn't do it, even if you're ignorant of that, that's going to be what's called a deceptive trade practice. And if someone lets the FTC know or if the FTC finds out, you'll probably get a letter. And if you can look at like uh, the Snapchat settlement between Snapchat and FTC is just a parade of all the things that you should not do as an app developer when designing an app because they basically made all these claims about Snapchat as a service that allows you to send ephemeral pictures that disappear in, in, in 10 seconds. And a lot of us people who do crypto things think, oh, that's... You know, that's a pretty neat idea. You send something and then just securely delete the key after 10 seconds, and then they can't do a lot other than take a picture of the picture with another phone or something. The analog hole is going to be here forever. Um, but um, uh, that that is a good example. So the typical things that will happen in a settlement like this, which is why you don't want to receive a letter like this and end up having to hire lawyers to negotiate a settlement with the Federal Trade Commission, are things like 20 years of uh, security audits every two years for 20 years, right? Like that is, an in internet time, that is a significant burden on your operations and ability to raise capital and things like that. Yeah. So you definitely want to take that seriously. And so the Fed, I would say, you know, just to recap, 
a lot of the privacy stuff, even though it's not happening at the federal level, are happening in states. And so you see a, a thicket of different kinds of stuff. The, the privacy policy is just one example. There are plenty of other examples of, of, of pretty different state laws that you want to keep track of, uh, or, or at least consult these trade associations like the, the, the uh, ADA, the App Developers Alliance, and ACT, the Association for Competitive Technology, that at least do some of the stuff that you shouldn't have to do, like aggregating these things, or, or, or at least doing this, what we call lowest common denominator work, which is what's the thing you can do that makes sure you're compliant with the most stuff. And if you do stuff in Europe, it's a whole other ballgame entirely. For example, you can't drop cookies on web pages in Europe without having someone say, I agree, and click on something. Um, they don't have the enforcement we do, so there's not some, like the Federal Trade Commission over there that will come after you. Um, but um, it's still the kind of thing where uh, it can be kind of a pain in the butt to engineer around some of these requirements. And if you if you implement something uh, like you know Facebook login, are you protected by Facebook? In other words, it's sort of face it's on Facebook at that point with that implementation, right? So um, yes and no. So. Mm -hmm. uh, Federated authentication using things like Facebook login, it's a great idea. It means you don't have to maintain credentialing systems and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It does force people to use Facebook to use your app, and so you will get complaints from people that are trying their best to stay out of Facebook. Uh, they must not have relatives with babies or something, but or people arbitrate or taking the images out for them. Uh, but uh, so that's a really good part of it. Um, you definitely want to make sure you pay attention. You read the fine print when you sign up as a developer. Or, and, and, and are able to, to use Facebook login and develop apps for the Facebook platform because they, they require you to agree to a bunch of things. And, and, and if, if you're a startup, you may be like, well, geez, I don't care about all these things. I'll agree to anything. That's fine. Uh, it may, may mean that later on you, 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 you may be a little restricted in things you could do. Um, but if you do have the ability to sort of look at those terms and actually look through them, that's a good idea. They're not. It's not going to like indemnify you, which is the lawyerly term for removing liability. Uh, you can do very bad things with the Facebook Act, and Facebook, you know, to their credit, in, in our opinion, will go after people who are maliciously using the platform to to do things like um, uh, sucking up all of the social graph and, mm -hmm. and using it for advertising purposes against the terms or something without you know consent. Um, and so it could be, if you're, if you're doing stuff that, that, that plays with people's uh, sensitive data on the Facebook platform, I'd be a little careful and just, you know, uh, you're not free from liability, but it does allow you to sort of uh, remove some of the points of risks that you would have in your own vanilla app using sort of the other kinds of, uh, the, the operating system platform, for example, like iOS or Android, some of that. It gets rid of complexity, it also gets rid of that you need to protect those credentials, and so that's a pretty big deal. Gotcha. So on internet infrastructure, how has the shift towards mobile changed this conversation for developers? Yeah, so mobile is, it, it, it's amazing how, how far we've gone in, I want to say 10 years. It's been much longer than that, but you know, the, the, the hockey stick part of mobile tech yeah. has really been in the last 10 years. Um, it's, 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 it's interesting because when it comes to things like mobile and privacy or, or, or mobile and um, security, it's it's just constantly changing left right you know now we have you know fingerprint readers and stuff like that which can allow you to do some pretty cool things in terms of saving credentials that someone doesn't have to type in all the time so more usable security options um, the, the the trick is is that the carriers are doing things that may be 
sort of exactly the opposite of what you and your users want. So for example, Verizon for a while, and I should, full disclosure, we're 40% funded by corporate contributions. We don't do things because people ask us to do things, uh, but if they like what we say, we're happy to take their money. Verizon is an example of a company that funds us, but we criticize them quite a bit. And, and But we also appreciate other things they do. But for example, they were putting what's called a super cookie on connections made by Verizon wireless customers, where um, if you issued a vanilla HTTP request, so just a regular web request, they would add a header to the, to the HTTP field that was a big, long GUID, a big, long, unique identifier. Um, that could be used to de-anonymize people, and, and you know, even when you had incognito mode or, or porn mode or whatever you want to call it on, they would add that thing, which totally ruins your, your privacy uh, 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 guarantees. Excuse me. So, um, you, you, and there's a bunch of things on phones these days. Very low-level uh, firmware-like things, like um, Carrier IQ, which is a something that the carriers use to to know every URL one of their um, subscribers goes to. Um, precise geolocation on the order of 15 to 30 minutes, uh, and uh, where you tap on apps. And the whole reason they do this is, I mean. Uh, they say they never release it in raw form for individuals, but um, they roll them up into marketing reports. And so this is something you may want to know about it and purchase from someone like Verizon. For example, there's things like uh, around this area, how many people have, have clicked on, on my app or you know, where are people using my app the most and stuff like that. That can be really valuable stuff. It's going to be really expensive, but it's the kind of stuff where, where if, if, if your market is very sort of chunky or whatever, that might help you get just the one little leg up. Um, Encryption is the big thing, and at least in the past six months, it's been a big deal. Something like 40 to 50% of all web transactions, and it's a really ridiculous statistic to quote, because it's very hard to measure these kinds of things. And the internet, is, there's things you can't measure on the internet. Um, but it's increasingly becoming encrypted um, in the sense of using HTTPS for web stuff, you know, SSL. We shouldn't say SSL, because no version of SSL is not broken. All of SSL is broken, so we say TLS, which is the modern version of, of encryption, um, but there, there's a few things that are happening. One is that a lot of the federal government within a couple of years is going to be entirely encrypted. You won't be able to visit a federal government webpage that is HTTP. It will be all HTTPS. And, and they're starting to realize that the, the reason that people are, it's more than just, you know, privacy or confidentiality or making sure the snoops can't see your stuff. The big driver, I believe, is integrity, is, is being able to make sure that someone on the path of a network communication can't inject JavaScript or other mm -hmm. kinds of executable crap that we seem to love to throw around and change what happens because the second that they have the control over something like that, um, it, 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 it's just a, a heartbeat away from poking through a, 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 an exploit in your browser and establishing a, a presence on the, that device, whatever it is. And so I think a lot of, of, of companies are starting to realize it's really helpful to start encrypted. It's very hard once you have something like, there's a plenty of really old school web properties that are having a really hard time going all the way to HTTPS because you have to go in and grep and rewrite all the URLs to be HTTPS and stuff like that. There's things that'll help that, um, but, but that's something that, that people might want to consider starting off, you know, before you make the scaling move to, you know, however billions of people you want to serve, hopefully, um, you definitely want to start encrypted so that you know that when you scale it, that's factored in your calculations. Rather than like Netflix, for example, spent the past year 
kvetching, can we encrypt these things? We care about you know, viewer privacy. We don't want people to, to be able to, we don't want ISPs to know what people are looking at and other kinds of folks. Um, and they just recently decided that they finally have been able to figure out a way to, to serve HD video in an encrypted manner. Uh, and and it, it was a real challenge anyway, but it, it helps to, to not be faced with, oh geez, now we have to put security back into all these things we wanted. It's built in at the beginning, and that's, that's, well, that's, that's the, 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 the superior way to, to on infrastructure, if a developer wants to help out with standards, what's the best way to do that? Ah, oh, that's a great question. Um, this, so standards can be extremely confusing, and, and it, you may never heard of them, and maybe that, that's a good thing. Uh, but if, for example, if you ever heard of an RFC, an RFC is the unit of currency for a standards body called the IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force, which has been around for many, many years, and they, anything that involves a protocol, sending stuff over the wire, you know, anything you could think of, DHCP, um, SSL, TLS, I mean, anything pretty much you could think of is going to be standardized at the IETF when it comes to real time, you know, or sending communications of various types. Um, there's actually really low barriers to participate in something like the IETF, you know, you don't, there's no dues, there's no fees, you just show up, and so, um, if there's a working group, for example, HTTP BIS, BIS is some fancy way of saying HTTP2, I don't know if this means again or something in French, but uh, um, that's an example of a, of a working group that has just put out the new HTTP2 standard, which does really cool stuff, like the web folks out there will understand, you know, when you make a web request, it often things come in serial back to you, which can mean a lot of time spent on certain kinds of things, and like SSL, you know, you have to, you have to do a bunch of different round trips. Um, now it will be, um, uh, uh, what's the word, I forget what the word is, uh, it's, it's basically a parallel, there's a word like duplex or something, but I forget what it is, multiplex or something like that, where now they can send things in parallel, so it all arrives and then they assemble the page later, um, but that, that's, that's, there, there's a lot of good things that are happening, but you could easily find those work groups, sign up to their mailing lists, about 90% of the, the work happens on mailing lists and Will say, hey, I have an idea, and someone will say, well, write it up, and then you have these things called internet drafts that, that look really strange because they're this paginated text format, which from the 80s or whatever, whatever. Um, but you can read those and say, hey, um, how is this going to affect me? You know, and ask people questions and just jump in and ask questions, and feel free to send email to me, joe at cdt.org, if you have questions about stuff like that. There are other standards groups, like the web uh, standard group we participate in, the World Wide Web Consortium, the W3C. That actually requires uh, either you to be invited as an expert to be a part of the working group or to pay dues as a business. Um, so we pay dues, something like 10 grand a year or something to be part of it. Um, that's a little, it's a very different, and I must admit, I don't fully understand how the W3C works. There's a lot of patent related considerations that go on there, which makes the procedures a little more complicated than they are in the IETF. IETF is pretty simple, in my opinion. Um, with W3C, it can be a little more complicated. That's where a lot of the web, um, you know, accessibility, um, the the sort of HTML5 stuff, like for example, being able to write a, a web app that knows the, the phone is near someone's face, which is a, a standard called proximity events. Uh, there's a whole bunch of really cool stuff that's being built into browsers now that really turn browsers into just you know amazing workhorses and, and the new platform. I mean, the web is a has been the platform for a while. It's going to continue to be the platform. But there are things like WebRTC, 
which is uh, web real-time communication. This is actually built in Chrome and Mozilla or Chrome and Firefox now. You can have a high-definition, fully encrypted, point-to-point -point video call just in these browsers that work across Chrome and, and Firefox. Um, and they'll work on phones too, which blows my mind. Uh, but you know, those are kinds of things where, and there's a whole security community, the web AppSec community, which are doing things like HSTS, uh, which is a way of specifying no one should ever come back to my web page unencrypted. Uh, and then things like uh, public key pinning, which is, is basically here are the certificate authorities in the world that can sign certificates for my domains and stuff like that. Uh, those are really important given that we've seen secure certificate authorities fall down left and right and, and had bad uh, certificates issued, which would allow someone to spoof your, your domain and, and things like that. Those are, those, are, those are things you should keep track of, but they're also things that um, if, you, if you implement them incorrectly, they can brick a site, for example, which you don't want to do. If you, for example, say, hey, here are the certificate authorities that should only sign my stuff, and then you actually add a new certificate authority without changing that stuff, then no browser that has visited your site will ever be able to visit your site again unless they uninstall the browser, which is not a really good way to troubleshoot this stuff. But, and with net neutrality, which is hugely important to developers, is that battle over? Absolutely not. <laughs> the net neutrality is one of these things where I'm not sure, uh, wax a little tangential here for a second. Philosophers have these things they call essentially contested concepts like art and freedom um, and justice. These are things that we'll never be able to adequately define, but the fact that we fight over the definitions are the defining feature of these things. Uh, anyway, to getting out of tangential world for a second. Net neutrality may be one of these things where we're doomed to fight about it for eternity until we don't have nets, which I don't know if that's ever going to be the case. <laughs> Something like that. But certainly, uh, we've entered a new stage of the struggle, I guess you would say, for net neutrality. You know, the, the, the original open internet rules were struck down by the federal circuit here in D.C., and now um, we have a new set of open internet rules. The trick is, is that these are going to be heavily fought over in the courts. We already have four or five lawsuits um, in play by huge companies that, that have, that have you know, were responsible for um, invalidating the original open internet rules, and they think they have a pretty good case to be made there. We're going to fight on the side of net neutrality and saying, look, we think it's really important that, uh, that the technical pieces of the network are allowed to sort of let the network do its thing and that people can tinker on them and that, you know, we don't have gatekeepers like ISPs, you know, uh, ISPs, it's very easy to change the URL in your web browser to go to a different web service. It's very hard. In some places, it's not even an option to change your internet access provider. It's just not an option. And they should not be able to use that um, sort of quasi-monopoly, in some places, definitely monopoly power to sort of pick winners and losers, and that's that's what we care about. But, you know, the, the we are, at CDT, kind of strange in a lot of ways. One of the ways that we're strange is we don't buy into the purest net neutrality vision, which is all bits should be treated equal. Mm -hmm. And the reason we don't do that is because we're very technically oriented, and we think, for example, um, a real-time voice communication like a VoIP call has extremely tight engineering requirements or you end up having a glorified walkie-talkie, right? You know, so if, 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 the, if the delay is, 
the latency in that communication, the delay in the, in the arrival of the packets is more than uh, you know, a, a couple dozen milliseconds, for example, you end up having too, too much to have a, a real real-time conversation. You end up having to do things like say, hi mom, how you doing? Over. Oh, hi Joe, I'm doing great, how are you doing? Over. You end up having to talk like a trucker or a CB radio or something like that, uh, which is not good. Um, and so some level of differentiation of services that recognize that, oh geez, this is a real-time voice or a real-time video call where you have the latency problems, you have jitter problems, and you also have HD bandwidth going in two directions, right? Uh, those are the kinds of things where hopefully it can say, oh, this guy, or this looks, to, this appears to be just an HTTP file download. If it arrives 10 milliseconds later, that person's not going to care. We'll prioritize or differentiate this flow of real-time communication so that that person can actually have a meaningful phone call. Um, that's really important, and we have to, you know, I think we firmly believe that we need to be able to, to, to recognize that, that treating all bits equal is great if you have no congestion and infinite bandwidth, but that's not really what we have. And on mobile uh, networks, it's especially sort of difficult. But we also see, and this is stuff that just frankly offends me, uh, Cricket, the, the sort of burner company that sells prepaid phones, was caught earlier or later in last year um, downgrading encrypted uh, email requests. And so there's, there's something called Start TLS, which allows you to take uh, a, a bulk email uh, uh, transfer, which is called SMTP, port 25. You may know about it if, if you've been to do email. But you send this thing saying, hey, actually, I'd like to send this in an encrypted way. And Cricket actually was interfering and changing those messages so that the stuff w was not encrypted. And the problem with that is, and, and being gracious towards them for a second is I think they wanted to compress that stuff on a mobile network so that they didn't have to send as many bits and you'd have more uh, uh, bandwidth available. But that was a choice that they made that, you know, what if this was a physician sending, you know, you know, whatever medical information or what if it was, you know, someone who, who knows, you know, there's a plenty of, of horribles we can think of. Um, that's the kind of thing that I think that goes way too far sort of on the side of the network inter interfering with communications and doing so in a way that that could really harm not only the person sending it, but anyone who's sort of, you know, that, that they have uh, uh, some, some responsibility for. So in a doctor's case, you know, or a teacher's case, the student or, or, or a patient. And that was my interview with Joe Hall from the Center for Democracy and Technology, which, like the EFF, is fighting for a free and open internet. Although I think it was important to make the distinction that certain packets do actually have to be prioritized when it comes to all of the things that we use. So I think it was a great use case to talk about voice over IP and you want less latency there. So there's obviously something on the in this that people need to be aware of and that is that just because you say free and open doesn't mean anything goes. Uh, also, it's very important to keep in mind privacy issues when you're creating applications that have any kind of social functionality and again, we didn't get into a lot of the European regulations but those are typically stricter which causes some difficulty when you're trying to implement something like Facebook authentication. At any rate, that was an interesting discussion and we look to do more of those in Washington soon. I'm Victor Agreta Jr. Next week, we're gonna be looking back at Microsoft Build and we're gonna be focusing on cross-platform development. Thanks again for joining us on Coders this week. We'll see you next time. Coders is a production of RCR TV News. 
To reach Victor Agreta Jr. or to suggest a show topic for coders, you can reach him on Twitter at SuperPixels. For all the latest news on wireless code and the whole world of wireless, check out rcrwireless.com.